Why don't you come on in? Come and have a seat. That was very swift. You guys are so obedient. <laughs> it's just being polite because it's my first time. <laughs> well, I just want to thank uh, I want to thank Dave, uh, Brendan, Patrick, Riley, the core team, and I want to thank you. Thank you for welcoming us so much. We really just feel incredibly loved and welcomed already. Um, we've only been here two weeks, so it's just it's just awesome. Thank you very much. I actually grew up just down the road in Lane Cove, uh, which is my my hometown area, but we have been living in the Middle East now for 18 years, and um, Donnie and I have been married for 19 years, so really all of our family life has been lived overseas. Um, So the last two weeks, for me at least, have been this kind of everything's familiar and yet weird at the same time. Uh, It's called reverse culture shock. Um, so it's, it's fun. But we really are excited to be with you uh, and to see what the Lord has for us as we um, join with you in knowing and applying and proclaiming the glorious gospel. A fun fact about our family is that we were born in five different countries. We're truly international. So I was born in Australia. My wife was born in South Africa. Josh was born in Oman, and then the next three were born in the UAE, and then Matthew and Brianna were born in Ethiopia. We adopted them in 2016, and they have just been an incredible joy uh, to our family. Now, we, we actually thought that having six kids was enough to give us bragging rights on the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. But then we came here and to find out there's not one but two families who have seven children. Like, what is with that? One of the things that our family love doing together is watching on YouTube American Idol. You've probably seen it. We sit there, we watch, and we evaluate their singing. We get into, uh, we, no, they're not terrible, they're not going, you know, and then you're listening to the the reaction and the responses of the judges. It's a lot of fun. But we soon discovered that America isn't the only country with idol. Did you know this? There's Chinese idol, Pinoy idol, Havartsky idol, that's Croatia, and then my favorite, Deutschland sucht den Superstar. (laughs) That's in Germany. In fact, there's actually... 49 different series of Idol around the world. Well, if that wasn't enough, there's also the Got Talent series. You know the ones? Australia's Got Talent and so on. There are actually 64 Got Talent series around the world. India's Got Talent and Australia's Got Talent. It seems that even Britain's Got Talent. (laughs) It's amazing. You know... (laughs) It's just a worldwide phenomenon. People love the spotlight. And they will do anything to get their five minutes of fame and glory. That's really what makes the show so successful. But have you ever thought that singing might have a bigger purpose than five minutes of fame and glory? 
Could singing be about more than just entertainment? Well, this morning, as we continue on in our series in the Psalms, I wanted to look with you at Psalm 96. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up, whether it's on your phone or whatever, and keep them open, because we're going to keep going back into the passage uh, during the course of our time this morning. Psalm 96, uh, I believe it will be on the screen as well. Let me read it for us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's go to this Lord in prayer now. Father, we recognize that you are the Lord of all creation and that you reign. Lord, and as you look down on your creation, you say, My hand has made all of these things. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So, Father, as we come to your word this morning, would we humble ourselves before you? the maker of all things. And Lord, would we tremble at your word? Would would your spirit bring it to life in us and that you would help us with power to apply your word into our lives for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to propose a sentence that summarizes the message of Psalm 96. I do this because it helps me make keep it clear in my own mind and so that we don't walk away from here with uh, abstract ideas and no real changed life. So here's the sentence, sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord among the nations. Sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord among the nations. This is actually going to be an outline for us this morning. So we'll have three points. If you're writing notes, it helps to keep things organized. Sing the glory of the Lord, sing to the Lord, and sing among the nations. So, sing the glory of the Lord. You know, sometimes when we read 
the Psalms, and in read the Bible in general, but the Psalms in particular, we read them as if they are written to me personally and directly. And we forget that this was actually written by a person from a, a different culture and in a different time. So to understand the Bible, we have to do some work to remember who's writing them and when and who they're writing to. So Psalm 96 actually appears twice in the Bible. You may know the story of when King David was bringing the Ark of the Lord up to Jerusalem. The Ark is a chest made of acacia wood and it contained the Ten Commandments. It was the physical symbol of God's presence among his people. King Saul had died, David had been crowned king and he had just defeated the Philistines. The Lord was establishing David's kingdom. And so it's with great joy that David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. David's dancing and he's celebrating and there's trumpets and cymbals and harps and lyres. And they place the Ark in the tent and then they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 16... David appoints Asaph and his brothers to sing this song to the Lord, the song that we call Psalm 96. And it's a song that people have been singing for nearly 3,000 years. Now you can imagine the joy that must have filled their hearts as they sang. A new day had dawned. There was a new hope. The kingdom of David had begun. And so they want everyone to know that the Lord had done this. The Lord reigns. The Lord who is king over all things, whose glory surpasses everything else. That's why he says in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. It's awesome. But what does that actually mean? I mean, if we are to declare the glory of the Lord... Among the nations, we need to know what the glory of the Lord is, if we're going to declare it. Well, one, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells us that the Lord dwells in unapproachable light. And no one has ever seen him or can see him. His glory is so bright that we can't look at him. It's like the sun. If you look at the sun, you'll go blind. But you can see the beams that come forward out of the sun. So we can't look directly at the glory of the Lord, but his glory can be seen in the beams of light that shine out from him. So in this psalm, David has in mind four specific ways or four specific beams of light that we can see God's glory. The first one is God's glory seen in salvation. Verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Now remember, in ancient Israel, when they spoke of God's salvation, they were speaking about the Exodus. When God redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. So in the original context of Psalm 96, 
they were seeing centuries of God's saving work coming to fruition. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that they would be a great nation. God's promise that he would establish them in the land of Canaan and remove from before them their enemies. And God's promise that he would establish a king among them. And then God's presence remaining with them, the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord had saved Israel. These people who came from nothing were now the Lord's people dwelling in the Lord's land under the Lord's blessing. And that's why it's a new song. It's the song that's birthed out of the experience of the Lord's salvation. So Asaph and his brothers were singing it out with all their hearts. The Lord has saved us. Look what he's done. Isn't the Lord glorious? The Lord's glory is seen in salvation. But the second way that God's glory is seen is in creation. Verse 5, The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So any aspect of beauty and strength that we see in creation is there because it's a reflection of the Lord's strength and beauty. The most beautiful sunset you've ever seen is just like a pencil sketch of the Lord's glory. The strength of the tallest Californian redwood, which grows up to 115 meters tall, is simply a matchstick compared to the Lord's strength. Majestic mountains, just the shadow of his majesty. Creation itself is a reflection of God's glory. But God's glory is not only seen in creation, but also that he is over creation. So in verse 11 to 13, we see that creation rejoices before the Lord because it's subject to him. So the Lord's glory is seen in creation. Well, the third way that David draws our attention to God's glory is in his holiness. Verse 9 Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The Lord is set apart. He's perfect. There's no blemish. There's no mistake. He lacks nothing. He needs nothing from us. He always does things right, and His plans are the best plans. He is eternal with no beginning and no end. And angels are before him, cherubim and seraphim, constantly declaring his praises. Nothing unholy or sinful can stand in his presence. The Lord is holy. He is glorious in his holiness. So he's glorious in salvation. He's glorious in creation. He's gloriously holy. And lastly, God's glory can be seen in his rule. Have a look at verse 10. It says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And then down in verse 12, Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world 
in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, that word judge needs some explaining for our ears. It isn't the kind of judging that we see in the Got Talent series. So we we don't need to imagine the Lord sitting behind a desk with a buzzer ready to assess whether someone goes through to the next round or not. Judge in this context has to do with his governance or his rule. So we know that because in verse 10, those two phrases, the Lord's reign and the Lord's judging, are held in parallel with each other. The psalmist wants to see them as the same thing. So it's not simply that he will give everyone a fair trial, but rather that he will govern the world with justice. When the Lord reigns, there will be no injustice, no inequality based on your passport or your cultural background. And he will rule the world in faithfulness. So democracy and socialism and communism won't even be thought of because he is a benevolent king. He always provides abundantly for his people. Under the Lord's rule, no one will go hungry. No one will experience homelessness. There'll be no refugees. And with 0% unemployment, businesses will see sustained growth. We can trust him to govern perfectly. And even creation will thrive with vibrancy and life under his rule. It's no wonder the trees of the forest will sing for joy. The Lord is a glorious and perfect ruler. So the glory of the Lord is on display for us here in Psalm 96 in four ways. In his salvation, in his creation, in his holiness, and in his rule. But you know, as clear as God's glory is seen in those things, there's actually one way that we can see God's glory even clearer. It's by seeing God himself. Have a listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you want to see the glory of the Lord, then look at his Son. Look at Jesus. All things were created through him. By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is holy in every way. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. And his salvation is a salvation that we will delight in for all eternity. It's a salvation that's not just seen in one nation, but is seen as he calls people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. 
And Jesus is the benevolent king who will reign forever. He will provide for his people for all eternity. So when it says there in verse 3 that we should declare his glory among the nations, we should rightly understand that to, to mean that we should declare Jesus among the nations. He is the glory of God. We have seen his glory as believers in Christ. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that is glory worth singing about. You know, my wife Donnie has a great voice. She won't tell you that, so I can. And if you're in our house for any length of time, you'll get to hear her sing. Because it seems like every second sentence prompts her and reminds her of a song that she knew from like the 80s and <laughs> that no one else knows. But there it is, it comes out and she sings. And, you know, it's, like, it's just like her whole life is a musical. You know, and it probably wouldn't surprise you, some of her favorite movies, Sound of Music, Mamma Mia, But I've noticed that it's just not the same for everyone. Some people just don't seem to like singing. But whether you sing out loud or whether you don't sing out loud, singing is always something that comes from the heart. So you could say that singing in the context of Psalm 96 is the appropriate response to anything that stirs our heart. Singing is an expression of worship. So, how is your singing? I don't, I don't mean your vocal skills. I mean the singing of your heart. What do you exult in? What do you sing in response to? What do you get excited about? Maybe it's the latest iPhone or an Aston Martin Vanquish. They're quite nice. Or it's your team who wins the series. Or maybe it's recognition of your accomplishments or popularity amongst your colleagues. Or maybe you rejoice in having authority or being right. You know, you feel that surge in your heart when you tell someone else what to do. You enjoy it. Or you get a righteous satisfaction when you rebuke someone for doing something wrong. You know, we could summarize all of these things into three categories. People, power, and possessions. These are the gods of the peoples in verse 5. They're idols, things that our hearts can turn to and worship. It's anything that is not God. You know, I I think maybe the reason that we struggle to get excited about things of the Lord is because our vision is just dominated by the gods of the peoples. But don't be fooled. You know, when you see them in comparison to the glory of the Lord, they are worthless idols. They're useless, mute. They're unable to satisfy. In contrast, the Lord is glorious. Splendor and majesty are before him. 
Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. There's nothing that even comes close to Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. So what are you singing in response to? You know, what my heart sings in response to will always show itself externally in some way or another. Right? Jesus tells us this principle about ourselves in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, where he says that a tree is known by its fruit and that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our hearts are always singing. We are always worshipping something. And what we are singing in response to will be shown in our actions and in our thoughts. So if, for instance, I am singing for the glory of power, then I'll likely be dominating others in my relationships or I'll be seeking to manipulate people with my words. I'll have a sense of satisfaction when someone begrudgingly does something that I told them to do. Or it could be expressed in treating other people as objects for my satisfaction. So pornography or lust can be expressions that I might be worshipping power instead of the Lord. These are the things, this is what it could look like to worship the idol of power. Or if I'm singing for the glory of people, then I'm going to do things that will help me to get noticed by people of importance. And I will ignore the people who are unimportant. I want to please people. Or I could always be worried about what people are saying about me. This is what it can look like to worship the idol of people. Or if I'm singing for the glory of possessions. You know, I feel that sense of joy and excitement when I've purchased something new from the shops. But the joy won't last long. And I'll be looking for my next purchase. You know, maybe you just love online shopping and you don't seem to be able to stop. Maybe you've taken a loan for something that you really can't afford. You can even worship materialism even when you don't have money. Because it's what your heart sings for, not whether you have it. So coveting a sports car or an upgrade on your phone, even though you will never be able to afford it, is just another expression of worshipping possessions. You know, if you're beginning to feel a little uncomfortable because you recognize that some of these things are true in your life, I want you to know that that is evidence of God's grace in your life right now. He's beginning the process of showing you the futility of worshipping those idols. That's the goal of Psalm 96. He wants to point out how worthless these idols are by showing you a superior glory. My friend, the, the appropriate response to seeing God's glory as to seeing Jesus, is to worship Him. It's to give up singing for worthless idols and to stop living for your own glory and to live for His glory. So if you feel like your life has been marked by ongoing worship of worthless idols, you feel like you've been going from one worthless idol to another, 
If you've been singing for your own glory, then let me urge you, repent. Look to Jesus and find in Him something not only worth singing about, but someone who will satisfy you with joy in a way that power, people, and possessions never could. If that's you, then come, talk to me, talk to one of the other elders, the elders here at Sovereign Grace, talk to the person you came with. Go before the Lord in prayer, repent of your sin, and put your trust and hope in Him. You know, but even if you've been a Christian for some time, you know, there's lots of ways that we can be tempted to sing for the glory of idols. But let me take this opportunity right now to zoom in on one specific way that we could see it expressed. And it's actually our second point in the sermon. Sing to the Lord. Now, did you notice in Psalm 96 how many times these three words appear? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord Bless his name. And down in verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's the direction that our hearts are to be turned to the Lord. We are to sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord. So, why is that important? Why is the psalmist telling us to sing the Lord's glory back to Him? Because that fundamentally is worship. That word ascribe simply means to give. To give to the Lord, to give credit where credit's due, to acknowledge that the Lord alone has all glory and all strength. And we sing it back to Him. Because singing, and I mean physical singing, is the most appropriate response to seeing His glory. But we don't always feel like singing, do we? Imagine this with me. It may be your experience from this morning even. It's Sunday morning. It's felt like a long week. The last thing you wanted to do today was get out of bed. But here you are anyway, rushing into the service 10 minutes late. It's already been a difficult day. The kids were complaining, your clothes weren't ironed, breakfast was an afterthought as you rushed out the door, and as a result, you missed the pre-service coffee, and that's already put you in a really bad mood. (laughs) You find a seat, and you sit down with a sigh, and you realize, the last thing I feel like doing right now is standing up and singing. But I can't really like stay sitting down because people will look at me. So I stand up and I sing the words of the songs anyway because I at least need to look like I'm worshipping. And I bow my head at the right time and I sit quietly and listen to the sermon. And the last song ends and I mentally check off my attend church task and my heart goes looking for what will satisfy me next. It's so easy to do, isn't it? We, we can honor the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. You know, there's even been times when I've been leading the music in our church, and in my heart, I'm thinking, I wonder if people think I'm a good singer. 
We could be just like the people in, in 2 Kings 17 who feared the Lord and also served their own gods. Let's not do that. Let's not go through the external motions of corporate worship without engaging our hearts to the Lord. When we do at some level, we are fraternizing with the worship of worthless idols and we are robbing ourselves of real joy in the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. It's a choice. Worship is not something that can be done for you. You have to engage your heart and look at Jesus. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 Paul tells us that when we behold the glory of the Lord as Jesus, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Beholding God's glory changes us. We begin to care less about the worthless idols of the world. We begin to care less about what other people think of us and more about whether they know Jesus like we do. We begin to care whether they are beholding the glory of the Lord in Jesus. And that is our third point. Sing among the nations. Now, I wonder if you've noticed who this psalm is directed to. Have a look at verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then down in verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. This psalm is directed to everyone. So when it says, O families of peoples, the phrase that we use for that today is people groups. It's ethnic identities that aren't necessarily bound by political borders. So in the Bible, a nation is a group of people bound together by ethnicity. So Psalm 96 isn't David telling the Israelites to go out and worship the Lord in other countries. This is David calling the nations to worship the Lord where they are among the nations. It's massively global in its scope. The whole earth, verse 1, is to declare his glory among the nations, verse 3. The families of people, verse 7, are being called to say the Lord reigns among the nations, verse 10. Now, let's think for a second what this is actually saying. Remember, this song is written by King David. And it was sung as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem for the first time. It was hugely important in the history of ancient Israel and defining for their national identity. So why is this psalm directed towards other nations? I mean, surely we'd expect something like, Sing to the Lord, all you Israelites. Declare how great God is and that the Ark is now in Jerusalem. Go out then and declare to the nations how glorious the Lord is and invite them to come in and worship at our temple. Perhaps that's how you've thought about it before. Like the choosing of Israel was God's plan A for letting the world know about him. But they didn't really pass the audition. So Jesus came and he opened it up to everyone. 
No. Psalm 96 is actually saying the complete opposite. That it's always been God's plan to bring salvation to the nations. His choosing of a specific people, the Israelites, enabled his relationship with them to be recorded in history. That way God's character would be obvious for all of us to see. But they weren't chosen because they were more special or somehow better than any other nation. God's purpose in choosing them was always to call to himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So David says, declare his glory among the nations. Did you notice how it doesn't say declare his glory to the nations? But among the nations. Among the nations describes people worshipping the Lord where they're living among a people. So Psalm 96, read by a man in Croatia, can read it and say, I need to sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord among my people in Croatia. And at the same time, the Filipino lady who's working in Japan can read Psalm 96 and say, I need to sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord right here in Japan amongst the Japanese people. And the Syrian refugee who's recently become a Christian is right to read this as a call to declare the glory of the Lord to the Lord among the Turkish. Do you see the significance? It's God's global strategy and call for all people to worship the Lord in all parts of the earth so that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not downplaying the significance of missionaries leaving their country and going to another to, to proclaim the gospel. There are still many, many places on earth where the gospel has not been proclaimed or believed. And some of us probably need to heed the call to go. But all too often, we reduce the Great Commission by limiting it to those few Christians who have left their country for the gospel. Hear the message of Psalm 96. The Great Commission is not plan B, where super-Christians go to other countries. It's plan A, and it involves you right here, right where you are, in the country that you live, among the peoples that you live with. It involves you knowing, applying, and proclaiming the gospel right here in Murunga. Can you see the implications of this? Thanks to Australia's immigration policy, every one of us in this room have opportunities to cross cultures with the gospel that the generations before us just couldn't have even conceived of. And I'm not talking about a church program to reach a specific people group. I'm talking about when you're at the, at the grocery store, at the checkout, or when you're at the shopping center or catching a train, and every day in our workplaces. Sovereign Grace, whether you have grown up in Sydney or whether you've moved here recently, 
we have some of the most incredible opportunities to declare the glory of the Lord among people we'd never otherwise have met. So let's not settle for just keeping our head down and working hard and providing for our families. Look, as good as those things are, Psalm 96 is a call to live for the glory of Christ right here in Sydney. So here's a few ways to put Psalm 96 into practice this week. Look for ways to connect with people that you meet in everyday life. I mean, I've only been here two weeks and I've been amazed at how easy it is to strike up a conversation. Just ask them a question about themselves. Ask them what they do for work. Or if you're at their workplace, ask them how long they've been working here. How long they've been doing that. Do they enjoy it? You know, if their accent suggests that they've come from another culture, then ask them where they grew up. And if you have an opportunity, eat food with them. Food from their cultural background. You know, the two easiest ways to cross cultures is language and food. Show interest in those things and just enjoy the learning process and you will find that huge relationship doors just open up. You don't have to be fluent. You just learn a few words and enjoy the food. But don't stop short at just connecting with people. Don't fail in what is the most important task of all. That is declaring, saying, singing the glory of the Lord to the Lord among the nations. Tell people about Jesus. You know, it doesn't have to be awkward. Just explain what you read in the Bible about him and how he's changed your life. And invite them along. Invite them along to our International Day on January 27th. It's God's global strategy for the spread of his glorious gospel all over the world. It's his global strategy for the spread of his glorious gospel all over the world. You know, some of the contestants on the Got Talent series are really, really good singers but they're singing for the wrong glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the glory of Jesus. What a reason to sing. What a person to sing to. And what a privilege to call others to join us in worshiping him. Sing the glory of the Lord to the Lord among the nations. As the music team come up to the front, let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Why don't you pray with me? Oh Lord, you are glorious. There is none who can compare to you. And your glory is beyond what we can even imagine. And yet, You have revealed your glory to us in Jesus. Glory that not only calls us to delight in you, but to share it with others. Father, if there are some among us today that are recognizing that they've been living for an inferior glory, Lord, would you open their eyes 
to behold your glory. Lord, call them out of darkness and into your glorious light. Lord, lead them to the cross of our salvation. Lord, for those of us who have seen your glory, but we've not been heeding your call to proclaim it, Lord, give us the courage and the confidence to do so. Lord, stir our hearts that we would exult in your glory and that we'd get excited about your name being declared among the nations. Lord, we ask that you would use this church, Sovereign Grace Sydney, to sing your glory, to declare and proclaim your glory to you. And that the nations we live among would hear it, that they would see it, and that they would turn to you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.